Hello, everyone. This is Premier Chess CEO, National Master Evan Rabin, and I am very excited to be here with my very good friend, Hannon Russell. Uh, he's been a friend and colleague for many years, and this is the 138th edition of the Premier Chess Podcast. And Hannon is the founder of Russell Enterprises, which is uh, one of the best chess publishing uh, companies out there. Um, of course, actually, just uh, two days ago, we published an episode with uh, Andrei Terekov, who is the author of The Life and Games of Vasily Smyslov, uh, one of the latest books, actually, that Russell Enterprises has uh, produced. And uh, yeah, it's my honor to uh, have you on today. How's everything going? Hi, Evan. Yes, everything is fine. How about you? Yeah, so... Um, so, Hannon, um, you know, I've, I've known you for, you know, probably about, you know, good almost 10 years now, just, uh, you know, playing in tournaments and, uh, you know, th around the East Coast. And uh, I would say in recent years, uh, you know, a little bit more professionally as well as, uh, you know, two uh, business owners, uh, you know, in the chess world. Um, could you talk just uh, a little bit more about yourself and, uh, you know, kind of how you got started into chess and, uh, a very, very quick summary as to, you know, how you got to, uh, you know, where you are today? Sure. Um, I think like a lot of other people, uh, uh, my father taught me when I was six or seven years old. Um, I played in my first serious tournament when I was 11 or 12, actually in New York. Um, that would have been around 1959 or 60. Um, I graduated high school, uh, majored in Russian with a minor in French at Yale. A few years later, I um, uh, went to law school and I practiced law for 25 years. Um, the publishing uh, sort of got started. Um, I, was, I lived in France for a while, and this is between my uh, freshman and sophomore year at Yale. And it sounds kind of corny, but I literally walked into a, a, a small bookstore uh, and found the Russian edition of, of Mikhail Tal's book uh, oh, wow. about his 1960 match with Badvinik. So I bought it. I, when I took it home, I, I translated it on and off for a number of years, um, and I finally got serious, and I brought it out. It was our, uh, in 1970. Um, the content was good. The actual production of the book was a disaster. Um, I did almost everything wrong that you could in producing <laughs> a book. Uh, I finally, um, uh, there were a couple of reprints. I, I finally ended up getting it right. Um, there was a brief time period when uh, Sidney Fried's uh, RHM uh, had the rights to the book, but we got the, that back when um, uh, Sidney passed away. Uh, since then, the book has been converted to algebraic notation. It originally was in uh, uh, English descriptive notation, which a lot of young players today uh, regard as uh, uh, something akin to ancient Greek. But um, uh, at that point, um, the book started doing very well in the mid 90s. Um, uh, the uh, Armenian, Soviet Armenian uh, endgame composer, Genrich Kasparyan, passed away. Um, and one, 
one of the Endgame experts um, uh, was looking to publish, to bring out a collection of Cusper Young studies. If you've ever seen them, they're really uh, fantastic. Uh, we did that in the mid nineties and very quickly after that, um, uh, authors started coming to us with uh, manuscripts saying they wanted to uh, publish. And uh, one thing led to another, we're, we're probably best known at this point, even though it was almost 20 years ago, for being the uh, uh, English, langu English language publisher of Dvoretsky's Endgame Manual. Hmm. Uh, uh, I met Mark um, in 2001 in New York City, he was looking for a publisher. He had been referred to us by Lev Albert. Um, Lev and I are still very good friends. And um, uh, we met, we had lunch uh, on a, a nice fall day in 2001 in New York City. And it took us about 90 seconds to reach an agreement about bringing his book out. It was worked on for the next year and a half to two years. Um, and uh, as uh, you know, it's, it, it may, as you may know, it's now uh, in its fifth edition. Um, uh, I have yeah. to say, I, I do certainly own the book and you know, I've learned a lot from it. And uh, actually just last night, uh, I was sitting in on our adult event class that Grandmaster Lenderman is teaching and uh, he actually was just, uh, you know, blowing us away with, uh, you know, some of the, uh, oh, that wasn't his, his Endgame book, but uh, one of his. Uh, you know, there's a, there, there's a funny, I have a, just a funny anecdote with Alex Lenderman. Uh, two years, two years ago, four years ago at the 2017 New Jersey Open, I was paired in, you know, the, the way the Swiss system works, the top half against the bottom half. And I was, I was at the top of the bottom half. And on first board, I played John Burke. Uh, who had just received his grandmaster title. Um, and to everybody's surprise, in, in a regular classical game, I beat him. And after the round, uh, uh, John and I are talking, and Alex comes over and says, you, you, uh, you beat John, why aren't you a master? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, well, I was on and off for about 10 years in the mid-90s. But uh, anyway, uh, be that as it may, um, uh, we've uh, uh, we brought out a lot of books. At this point, we have probably around 140 titles. If you go, for example, to Amazon and plug in the words uh, Russell Enterprises Chess, you, you'll see all kinds of, uh, about 140, 150 titles come up. Most of them um, are also available as, as Kindle or iBooks and stuff like that. Um, some of them are also carried by Forward Chess, the interactive uh, site uh, so it keeps me out of trouble All right wonderful um so yeah so, so tell me um you know for for one um you know i appreciate your you know introduction there um you know you're definitely well known uh you know for many uh but for those you know that don't know russell um you know russell enterprises uh chess books uh is definitely yeah one of the uh you know bigger uh you know publishers out there um, I was actually just looking, uh, you know, for a little refresher myself, you know, what some of their, uh, you know, bigger books were. And, uh, you know, there were actually several books that I actually have at home uh, that I, I kind of forgot was, uh, you know, theirs. Uh, so, for instance, there's a famous Talbot Binnick book of 1960. Um, actually, uh, my coach, Grandmaster Udassen, um, you know, recommended that to me a long time ago. Uh, it has a lot of games uh, actually in the Carol Kahn. Uh, you know, one of my, uh, you know, main openings. Um, 
and uh, actually, uh, may he rest in peace. Uh, you know, Bruce Alberston was a, a dear friend and mentor of mine, and uh, of course, he published his uh, Chess Mises book. Um, maybe not one of the most famous, but uh, just for me, that was uh, really that's uh, actually important. quite a good. That's actually quite a good book. Uh, um, I thought Bruce came up with a with a, a very nice idea to try to develop visualization skills um, for. Um, someone uh, at the beginner or slightly above the beginner uh, level. The, for, those of, uh, for those people who may not know what it is, uh, basically he sets up a position that is not a legal position because it usually only has one king in it. And, mm. but, but, but he'll, he'll set up a position and he'll have uh, the pieces on both sides. And he'll say, for example, um, how many squares, to, how many moves does it take the white bishop to get from uh, B2, uh, excuse me, uh, uh, the white bishop from uh, uh, F1 uh, to say um, A8. And the rules are that you can't capture any of the other pieces. You have to go around them. So it, it, it works under, we had, we brought out two of those books like that. Uh, uh, and I thought uh, they were very, you know, it was, it was a very novel approach uh, that he devised. Yeah, um, and uh, you know, I, and uh, I was actually fortunate to uh, you know learn with him, and um, I think he actually did some of the chess mazes for me, uh, you know, before he wrote the book, actually. So uh, when I was uh, learning with him, uh, you know, as as a kid, uh, actually. So um, and then I actually taught uh, him with, with him uh, and uh, and Bruce Pandolfini, uh, actually, uh, who of course is also a podcast guest. Uh, now, uh, yeah, we, well. we did we did a few of Bruce's books too, um, Bruce Pandolfini's. Yeah, and he is uh, a legend. Um, I'd be reminiscing, by the way, if I didn't mention now uh, an event that uh, I told you about the other day uh, that Bruce and Bruce is going to be part of later this month on the twenty third of March uh, when we're actually co hosting an All Ivy Invitational uh, event. Uh, when Bruce is going to be doing a Q and A uh, as part of the event, uh, it's going to be you know absolutely incredible. Uh, we just had a chance to talk for uh, a half hour yesterday. Um, so so tell me, Russell, um, what you know about so like there's a lot of publishers you know out there. Um, what for you really? Um, I mean, so when when you decided, so you you went, you went to Law school. Uh, you were practicing. What kind of law were you practicing, by the way? Uh, mostly commercial and business, commercial real estate, business law, and um, I was the youngest in the firm at the when I joined it. I became a partner a couple of years after I. Do you still practice law at all anymore? No, I retired more or less uh, uh, approximately fifteen years ago. Um, but I also took the appeals to the um, uh, to the various levels in the uh, Connecticut court system. I probably appeared in front of the Connecticut Supreme Court a couple dozen times over the years. Oh, wow. uh, so, but it all, uh, it, would, it mostly was commercial real estate and the associated law with that landlord tenant, um, easements, that kind of thing. And there was also the business law side of it when, uh, um, you know, uh, uh, one company buys $100,000 worth of widgets from another company and they're not, they don't meet the specs. Well, what are the rights and liabilities of both parties? I did all that stuff. 
So as you may know, um, we do actually a fair amount of corporate classes. Uh, you know, for instance, at Kramer Levin, the law firm once a month. And, you know, we like to talk about ideas like judgment training uh, and, uh, you know, intuition, um, mindset, many other areas that could be of benefit to attorneys. Um, so could you talk just for a quick second based on your uh, chess and legal experience, I know you've been practicing for quite some time, but you know, still in your blood, uh, of course, you know, being an attorney. So, um, could, could you talk a little bit about the benefits you think chess could bring to attorneys? Well, I also, within the areas that I, I practice, the commercial law, et cetera, I also litigated, which means I showed up in court for motions and actual full trials. And um, one of the things that I think is uh, uh, helpful is uh, if you have a big tournament coming up, you're going to review your openings, you may review endings, you may do other things to uh, hopefully improve your tactical and strategic uh, approach to positions. And um, I more or less applied that to my preparation for trial. Um, uh, if, we, if we had a date certain for a trial, which is the only way it, it, it would work, um, a couple of days before I would, I would thoroughly prepare myself. You see the, on TV, you see uh, uh, all the sizzle with uh, the, the, the drama, people jumping up and down and yelling at people and breaking down. Well, it doesn't really happen like that in the real world. What wins in, uh, uh, in the real life is uh, number one, you, your case has to be well prepared and you have to, and number two, you have to present it well. Um, uh, that kind of preparation, you can, you, can, you can have cases that are lopsided, uh, equivalent to, you know, you're a queen ahead, and unless you do some, uh, make some outrageous blunder, that's an easy win. Same thing for, for uh, trial. Uh, if your case really is, has all the evidence and the facts and the law on your side, it's not that difficult to win. Um, preparation, like anything else, is gonna make a difference when the sides, uh, the winners and the losers positions are much closer instead of it being 80-20 if it's 55-45. It depends, there's a, there's a lot of things that come into play. Um, who the judge is, who the attorney on the other side is. Um, uh, I used to also uh, prepare a lot by holding depositions uh, in which I was uh, very methodical going through every aspect of the case. Uh, yeah, it is boring. It was boring at times, but you find out uh, I, I was able to resolve a lot of cases at, at the uh, uh, at the deposition stage. I, I can give you one, uh, one uh, sort of curious example. Um, I represented a client who was uh, involved in a um, foreclosure of a commercial building. Um, the bank had done a few things. This was taking place maybe 15, maybe 20, 20 or 25 years ago. Um, the bank had done some, some uh, ridiculous things. The, uh, underlying everything was, it was clear that the real estate department in the bank wanted to acquire this property because it was a valuable piece uh, and could be made and sold at a substantial profit. Uh, to a larger uh, uh, adjacent uh, piece. And they instituted, they claimed, they claimed there was a 
uh, a default in the mortgage that uh, my client was paying and we resisted. And one of the things that uh, someone has to do if they're foreclosing, when a bank is foreclosing on you, they have to bring in an appraiser and the appraiser has to say, in my professional opinion, this is what the property is worth. That's because you have to, you have to get some uh, idea of the relationship between the amount of the mortgage and the amount of the fair market value. If you have a fair market value of $600,000 and you have a mortgage of $400,000, you have equity of, of 200,000. But if you have a property that's $400,000 that has a $600,000 mortgage, you have it's big trouble for the lender because it's the 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 equity is negative that will happen in a market where values collapse where where um there are no buyers they're not interested in the supply you know it's still um, the supply and demand will still work anyway uh i did we we, we scheduled the deposition of the the appraiser for the bank had come in very low the reason that was to the bank's advantage is they wanted to show that there was no equity in the property and if they foreclosed that um, there wasn't any difference that had to go to the to the to the owner that they were going up against and uh, i walked uh, question by question the appraiser through his appraisal at the end of, every, end of everything i said have you ever have you ever um, appraised this property before, before, before the time we're talking about? And he said, yes, which surprised me a little, but doesn't make a difference. It could be a prior owner or what have you. And I said, was my client the owner when you uh, appraised it? And he said, yes. And I said, well, what value did you come in at? The, he had come in with like a $1.3 million value. I'm, my recollection is a little foggy. But we were looking at a $1.3 million appraisal. And uh, I said, well, what was, your, what was your other appraisal? He said it was $1.7 million. It was $400,000 higher. And I said, how was it that you came to do a second appraisal? And his answer was, well, when the bank's officers saw the $1.7 million, they asked me to go do another one and come in at a lower price. So um, that resolved the case almost immediately uh, because we had both the, the appraiser who hadn't really done anything wrong, but we had the lawyers on the other side in the crosshairs and um, that, that uh, suit, they didn't foreclose and it was resolved in t within two weeks afterward. So, which in terms of legal procedure is lightning speed, so. Uh, Anyway, it, thorough preparation uh, uh, is 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 really the key, and that's not really a big surprise because it's it's not uh, limited so to. Just it is, and it and it and it isn't actually. Um, actually, my good friend John Blythe is a litigator uh, as well. Um, he uh, is a personal injury attorney, um, and he once wrote a blog post actually for us about uh, chess and uh, litigation. Um, and I'll actually send it to you. I think you'll find it interesting. It's not that it's anything you don't know. Of course, you've done it yourself. Um, but, uh, you know, one of the biggest things that uh, he taught me actually was, uh, you know, there's just so much more, you know, into, you know, a case than you would think otherwise. So in fact, I was uh, an, actually in a personal injury case uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, my good friend's father, Rocky Grosak, helped me out, uh, you know, major time. Uh, you know, in the case to, to settle. 
Um, but um, the whole idea, uh, you know, is like, I, I didn't know what the process was. You know, I, I was in an accident. Uh, I gave him some paperwork and then, you know, almost three years later, he called me up out of the blue saying, Evan, we settled today. I was like, what? I, I didn't even know what he was talking about. I almost forgot about the case. You know, but actually there was so much more that like went into it. Uh, so when John Blythe started talking about, you know, litigation, uh, but how you have to do like your due diligence, you know, that basically is like the preparation and the opening work. Um, you know, you can't just, you know, go into a chess game just like cold, right? Of course, that doesn't, uh, doesn't work. So, um, so let, let, let's transition and, and talk about, you know, your, your company, Russell Enterprises. Um, again, you've done a, a large, uh, you know, array of, you know, books, you know, from a lot of uh, sort of game collections, like this new book, you know, from Vasily Smyslov. Um, I also, by the way, recently uh, had a summer intern, uh, actually, who by chance his father actually played Bobby Fischer in the 1964 tour. Um, and we were actually trying to like do some research to learn a little bit more about the game. Um, and of course, you probably know where I'm going with this. Uh, happened to stumble upon your book uh, about that. <laughs> By Jeff Donaldson, yeah. Um, you know, just by like, you know, Googling. Um, so can could you, could you talk a little bit? I mean, I'm sure Bobby Fischer and the Fischer Bowman in 72 clearly uh, influenced not only that, but, uh, you know, many other books, uh, you know, out there. Uh, could, could you talk about like just any experience you might have had with like Fischer and how he, you know, affected you or... Um... I was, uh, yeah, I was, uh, I became very good friends uh, in the 60s uh, with Ed Edmondson. Uh, most people probably don't know who he is, but he I became, honestly can't say I know the name. Well, if you do a little research, you find out that Ed Edmondson was a, a father figure for Bobby. Uh, he was the executive director of the U.S. Chess Federation in the 60s when uh, Fisher was getting better and uh, moving towards uh, the top of the chess world. Um, when uh, Fisher, uh, Fisher uh, had uh, uh, an unusual uh, reaction to, to certain situations that I picked up on and I, was dis I, dis um, I discussed it with a, a few people and that is when he would be close to attaining his goal, he would pull back and that pulling back or, or retreating would be in the form of, of uh, uh, either withdrawing from, from a tournament or not playing. Uh, it happened several times. There, are, there were good reasons. He never finished the match with Ryshevsky in 61. Uh, in 1961, um, uh, he, it wasn't clear that he was the best player in the United States yet. It was either uh, he or, or Ryshevsky. They played a match. And uh, it was because of a scheduling conflict, um, he stopped. Uh, fast forward to um, 1967, the, the Tunis uh, Interzonal, um, uh, Seuss. He was leading the tournament after 10 rounds by a point and a half. Um, if you want to see one of his great games, I think it's in his collection, his win against Stein, the Russian grandmaster, uh, is just marvelous. Um, but again, he's, that would have led to an eventual uh, 
match and then challenge for the for the title in 69. Uh, he gets into an argument. He leaves the tournament. Uh, Edmondson gets on the phone and convinces him to come back. There's a funny uh, side story to this. Um, nobody expected him back. His next opponent had, as it turned out, was Ryshevsky. Um, Fisher decides to return, comes to the tournament room with about five or seven minutes left on his clock in the first hour. Um, as many people may or may not know, um, you have to show up in the, you had to show up within an hour. Uh, and if you didn't, you forfeited the game. He shows up, uh, plays the white side of a Roy against Ryshevsky and smashes him, um, having given away almost an hour. Um, I was good friends with Ryshevsky for about the last dozen years of his life. We went to tournaments uh, here and abroad. Um, once you got through his exterior, he was really a nice guy. And I asked Sam, you know, how did you feel when Fisher walks into the room? And he said it was just a shock and he couldn't, he, he, I said he, you know, he beat you very fairly easily. And he says, yeah, that he never got it. He didn't get over, he, Ryshevsky, didn't get over the shock of seeing Fisher walk in with five minutes uh, before uh, forfeit. Anyway, but he pulls out of the Seuss Interzonal. He's leading it. He's going to win it. it it's, it's, he's, he, he's on his way to becoming uh, this, the, the challenger to Petrosian in 69. It, you may, people may know, of course, that the eventual challenger was Spassky, who, who ended up winning the title in 69. So he pulled And I have to say one thing, I mean, you, you got me curious, of course, I just did a quick Google search and you know, looking on his Wikipedia page here. Um, and, and by the way, I mean, your memory is like astonishing um, because I mean, it's all true. Um, you know, one thing that, you know, kind of cool, he was, um, you know, an officer in the, in the Air Force uh, as well. Uh, yeah, he was a colonel. <clears throat> and he, he single-handedly um, uh, walked Fisher to the title. Um, you, everybody knows how, how um, he threatened not only not, he, he threatened not to play in Reykjavik um, when, when Slater finally doubled the prize fund, uh, he showed up. And then after two games, uh, after one game, he, he says he's pulling out of the out of the match, and it's not until uh, it was it was supposedly a, a dispute with Chester, Chester Fox who had the um, um, uh, TV rights, and so here he is, and he's actually, if you think about it, he loses the first game, making a move that a lot of masters would not have even considered getting his bishop trapped and eventually he can't extract it, thought he could win a pawn. So he loses the first game. He loses the second game by forfeit. It was the third game when he had that remarkable move of knight to h5, getting doubled rook pawns. It was a very, it's a very nice game. But if you think about it, at the end of two games, he's down two zip to Spassky. He's actually in a position where in front of the public, he, he's, he's in a good place. If he loses to Spassky in the match, he says, well, how can you spot the world champion two points 
in a championship match and then expect to win it. You can't. He's too good. If he wins the match, he says, I spotted the champion two points and I beat him, which is, in fact, what happened. But he did that again. And then having finally won the title, he doesn't play anymore because it's a, there's only a downside. If he wins, he doesn't win the title. He already has it. And if he loses, well, you know, it's it's a downside. I, I w- was working in the Pacific Northwest um, in the early 70s. And I saw the first and the third games of uh, his match against Taimanov in Vancouver. And um, before the first match, first game of the match, um, I was having lunch at the, at the hotel in which the match was being held. And I saw Ed, he came over, uh, we chatted and he said, hey, would you like to meet Bobby? He said, sure. So we walked over, Fisher had two meals in front of him. He was shoveling in the food as fast as he could. Uh, Ed introduced us, uh, Bobby looked up, shook my hand and said, hi, nice to meet you. And then went right back to his food. So that was the, the, the extent of, of uh, meeting Fisher. But I didn't say him, but he was very interesting to watch at the board. Uh, those sessions were five hour sessions for the first time control with adjournments that don't, that don't uh, exist anymore. Um, uh, and um, he was almost motionless at the board. Um, and uh, uh, he probably got up four, maybe five times during a, the five hour period, but he was, wow. com- yeah, he was completely focused. And, and, and dedication is, is, is huge. Uh, you know, it's a big element of, uh, you know, us playing a chess game, right? We need to, uh, you know, think of um, like thought process. Um, I was actually giving some live commentary, uh, as you may know, for the United States amateur team uh, South uh, two weeks ago, and uh, then, sorry, the North two weeks ago and South this past weekend. And one of the biggest things that I was actually saying um, throughout the commentary uh, with all the guests that I had was uh, just how, you know, look, the most experienced team, the most, you know, high rated team, uh, you know, is actually not likely going to win. You know, it's the ones that are, you know, keeping their um, mindset uh, perfect and not, uh, you know, letting that uh, affect them too much. And just being able to, uh, you know, remain, uh, you know, fully confident uh, in all that, and uh, you know, take your time, and uh, you know, be, uh, you know, consistent. So, um, so let, let, let's go into a little bit uh, more about the content, uh, you know, of of all the books that uh, Russell Enterprises uh, has introduced. Um, one thing I could say for sure. Um, you know, having owned some of them, read some of them, and just, you know, knowing about, uh, you know, a bunch of other thems, um, you know, there, there, there's a large, you know, variety of books. Um, you know, if you just look, for instance, at the, you know, main photo on your website, you know, you can see like, you know, some puzzles books, a, game, a, a book about bullet chess, you know, Bobby Fisher's book, you know, of course, the Devereski books that we just, uh, you know, spoke about. So what to you makes a chess book um, of interest uh, to actually potentially publish? Well, there's a, there's a number of things you have to look at. First of all, uh, you have to look at the author. Um, 
uh, we've had uh, lots of manuscripts uh, presented to us. Um, and uh, just because the author is not known doesn't mean um, the book is not worthwhile. Uh, a case in point is um, a good many years ago uh, when we first uh, started publishing Dan Heisman's book, um, mm. I, Dan's name was not uh, commonly known in, in the chess community. Um, but the, the book that he wrote, I can't remember, maybe it was Back to Basic Tactics or something else, but it was a good book and we published it and it did well. Um, uh, so you've got, uh, we, we recently had another, we have a, a New York master who had written a book or said he, he would. Yeah, and I'm um, looking at that right now on your site, Back to Basics. It was in, uh, it doesn't say the, the year here, but. Um, yeah, well, those when it probably first came out when dinosaurs roamed the earth. But, uh, <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, Dan has written a number of very good books and um, uh, looking for trouble, elements of positional evaluation, yep, and, you know, yep. several others. Yeah, uh, and then you've got you know the uh, if you if you have a manuscript and you and you are well known with a good reputation, it's much easier to to say okay. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll take a shot. There, a very interesting case study would be a, a book um, uh, that we published a few years ago by a Greek uh, master by the name of Echelaus Zagrafos. The name of uh, the name of the book is Music and Chess, and it was uh, quite an interesting uh, book showing the connection between obviously music and chess. Most people may, I don't know how many people know, but there are only uh, three areas where uh, the world has produced uh, uh, prodigies. It's, it's uh, music, chess, and mathematics. Um, child prodigies um, have not appeared in any other, uh, um, you know, they, chemistry or, or, or anything else. Uh, it's very interesting. And he, he builds a strong case uh, and he, it, the book could have actually been called um, Music, Chess, and Mathematics because that plays a large role. But that was an example of a book that uh, I looked at the manuscript, I thought it was very good, and I also thought it was a subject matter that needed to be uh, brought to everybody's attention. Um, the book has not done particularly well, um, uh, but it's a good book. Uh, now, we can't afford to... Uh, bring books out that don't sell well. Um, unlike the former Soviet Union, this is not, uh, there's no subsidy from the state. Uh, right. <laughs> we, we sink or swim on-, on And by uh, the way, we were just talking about that with Andre the other day, you know, how part of the was very successful was, uh, you know, he did uh, have the privilege of getting, um, you know, sponsorship uh, from, from Russia, so. Yeah, well, that's, you know, the, when you have a totalitarian regime, you can get things done many times faster and quicker if you just run roughshod over other people's rights. Um, uh, you know, it's not a, uh, the Soviet Union and perhaps even in China today, they, uh, if, they, if they identified a prodigy in a chess prodigy, a child who was, had a, hopefully a good potential, you know, they put them into the schools to train them and to develop it. And, you know, you can't do that in, in, in Western society, European, Western Europe or, or, or the U.S. If somebody is very good, you hope that they sort everything out and they stay there. But if they don't, you know, who knows what's been lost? 
Um, hmm. But um, uh, so anyway, the, the you, you have a number of books uh, like music and chess. Um, sometimes you just make a mistake. Uh, fortunately, it doesn't happen very often in in trying to evaluate the the potential. Um, we had a book called the. Curse of Kirsan. Um, Kirsan Imjunov was the uh, uh, longtime president of FIDE, and uh, he was known as a, a crook and a thug and what have you. He was also president of uh, uh, one of the republics uh, from the form, former Soviet Union. Anyway, Sarah Hurst, a uh, good person, good writer. Uh, also a translator of Russian uh, chess books, uh, put together a very interesting book called that. It was a collection of interviews. And um, uh, I thought it was good, obviously, because we published it. And um, the sales were, were a disaster. I think only maybe Sarah's family bought copies. Uh, nobody else had any interest in it. Uh, so we ended up uh, remaindering it. That's when you you just wholesale out the the balance at at, at a loss usually. So fifty cents or a dollar per book, and you just get get rid of it because it's not selling. So it happens every once in a while, and then you have a nice surprise. This Smyslov book is a case in point, doing very well. Uh, Andre did a great job. He did he had uh, very thorough research. Um, the book is well written. Uh, it's 519 pages just for the early years. So I look forward to seeing uh, where the follow-ups are going to be. <laughs> yeah, uh, so, uh, hopefully it'll be out next year, uh, but uh, uh, that's really up to him when he finishes his work on the second volume. Right, right. Well, yeah, and I know he's uh, working full-time at Microsoft, you know, so it's not like he has, uh, you know, unlimited time to, to, to write, but... Um, the, the, other, the, other the other criterion is... Um, uh, it depends. Uh, has there ever been, you know, what the the competition is like in uh, the rest of the uh, chess publishing world on a particular topic? A very good uh, example, I think. We have an upcoming book uh, by American Grandmaster Alex Fishbein uh, that'll be released in a couple months. Actually, next month in April, and the entire book is is about. Um, the exchange. I think I know he posted about it on Facebook. It's point. it's the it's the exchange French. That's right. If you, if you do some research, I don't think you'll find a book on the uh, that only deals with the exchange variation of the French. Um, you'll find lots of books on the French, and the exchange variation, of course, is usually uh, has its own chapter. But this is Alex's book. has got two hundred and forty pages just on the exchange French variation. Now, it, it not only pre presents opportunities for white, but it shows the way black has to handle it too. So it's not like uh, 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 as soon as white goes into the exchange French, black is busted. Um, he did a lot of work. He plays it himself too. And so there are a number of his games in it. Um, but that's an example of a book that uh, definitely deserved to be published. You have a good experienced author, and you have a topic that um, has been dealt with, but probably not as thoroughly as, as will be uh, in, uh, you know, in that book, uh, so. Yeah, well, I definitely look forward to, uh, to seeing that, um, you know, French Exchange, of course, is a book that 
uh, uh, an opening that the many chess players don't see as, uh, you know, super strong. Um, but, uh, you know, Fishmeen obviously is a, a strong grandmaster and um, I'm sure he's going to have uh, lots of interesting insights. So definitely look forward to, to seeing that. Yep, it does. Um, it's, it's, at the, it's at the printer now, so. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll see it very soon. So, uh, but uh, which actually is a, a, a good transition, uh, you know, into the next and, and really last main subject I wanted to cover, uh, which is um, uh, many, you know, people, uh, well, I've actually hinted towards this uh, in a couple previous episodes, including the one with uh, Andrei Terakov uh, earlier in the week. Um, I'm actually in the very beginning stages of publishing my first book um, with the help of uh, Hashem. Um, we will be doing that with Russell Enterprises, uh, you know, when the day comes. Um, and, um, you know, I'm actually working on it with uh, my former coach, uh, Grandmaster Lena D. Dawson, um, who is know, a yeah. mutual friend of Hannon. Um, so when I you know, you got some naturally, I, I just started talking to him about it and he said, oh, who are you going to publish it with? I was like, I don't exactly know, but, um, you know, my, my good friend Hannon is, uh, you know, an amazing, amazing publisher. And I didn't even know that the two of you were, uh, you know, pretty good friends as well, uh, you know, when I said that. So it just kind of was, uh, you know, a match. Um, but um, yeah, you know, look, when I first had a conversation with you, uh, about it uh, close to a month ago now. Um, I'm going to publicly uh, keep myself accountable here and say, you know, it's been almost a month since I promised you that I'll write a first chapter. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm going to get on that, uh, you know, pretty soon. Um, but, you know, the, why, in addition to a little bit of a, you know, flash, and of course I thought about it because Fishmeen's book is, Fishmeen's book is about the French exchange and our book is actually going to be about, uh, as you know, um, somewhat what's called second rate openings uh, and how to play against them. Um, what advice do you have, uh, you know, for people like, well, Yudasin is a little bit different. He's actually written a, a couple books, but um, this will actually be his first book uh, in English uh, when it eventually does get uh, released and published. Um, but what, what advice do you have for you know, people like myself, you know, in the industry, um, been around for, you know, I think somewhat a while, um, not compared to others, <laughs> but I've been around for a while. Um, and, uh, you know, I've, I've had a couple of friends release books and I actually have uh, another great podcast guest of mine, uh, Matthew Harms, uh, you know, definitely comes to mind. He's a ghostwriter. He's actually written uh, you know, several books. Uh, you know, we've also had Jennifer Wilkov on the podcast who uh, does book marketing. Um, these people definitely come to mind, but what, what tips do you have for, uh, you know, really all, but in particular chess professionals, because that's in the world you're in. Uh, what, what tips do you have for new authors? Well, if people are looking to publish a chess book, one of the things they need to, to identify is uh, where there might be a need. And that sounds uh, like you're stating the obvious, um, but sometimes there are lines out there in openings. Um, uh, Dan Lowinger is a um, is a master known him for many years. He's also one of the co-founders of the uh, Fairfield Club, of course. Right, that's where I I'm a member there, 
And um, he wrote a book a number of years ago on the Queen DH Scandinavian. Uh, e4 wow, D5. I forgot about that. You're uh, yeah. giving me a back uh, of memory. <laughs> yeah, after after White plays knight to c3, the queen drops drops back to d8. Now, it looks like black is regressing here. Um, strangely enough, I don't know if it was a coincidence or not, but a couple months after the book appeared, Carlson played and beat Caruana with that line uh, as black. Um, wow. And that didn't hurt sales. <laughs> Uh, but that book is a perfect example of an, uh, an offbeat line um, that uh, white, there, there's no bust to that line. Uh, uh, if, there's a, if there's a downside, is, it's that um, white, white, there's a couple lines where, where uh, white can extract all the winning chances for both sides. Uh, uh, the, the, the game just peters out to, to a, a, a very easy draw, even if your opponent is a few hundred points lower than you. There's not much you can do in in a, a very simple end game. Uh, but the book has sold relatively well. But you know, that opening, that opening, so uh, is a little uh, it's unknown. We had a uh, coincidentally in the in the um, Scandinavian again about ten years before that. We brought out the first book on the Queen D6 Scandinavian, um, and that became quite popular. Tivyakov, uh, Sergei Tivyakov, uh, um, uh, played that for a good many years quite successfully. Um, uh, so that's one. That's one thought. Um, uh, if you're going to do a collect collections of games uh, that you've played or what have you. Uh, those are little. Uh, those are more tricky uh, because uh, you you have to put your consumer hat on and say, why why is someone going to buy this? Mm. You know, are they really interested in a hundred games played by Hannah and Russell? No, nobody's. <laughs> not even my mother. So, uh, well, but you know, then you you go to the other extreme if you're doing a. Um, uh, it'll be nice to have Carpo uh, uh, do a book on his games. I actually had lunch with him a couple of years ago um, in, in a very nice restaurant in New York City, and we discussed the possibility. Um, I suspect he he really does not uh, want to put in the time and the effort to to write a book. He's is although I just read today he's going to play in a in a, a tournament in Malmo, Sweden. Uh, uh, a, a class at classical time controls. So that'll be interesting. But he doesn't want. He doesn't, he doesn't want to spend months writing a book anymore. Probably we'll see. Um, uh, but it's 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 you know what can you do to to make your book stand out? Um, we will in a few weeks. We'll have a uh, I believe one of the only books on the Belgian uh, master Edgar Colley. Now everybody knows the Colley system and. Uh, it has the reputation of, you know, that's you, you put your bishop. I mean, I couldn't say I knew who it was named from. <laughs> well, this is who, who, who invented it. And it's a collection of his games and insight. And he was a fierce tactician, um, but he ran hot and cold. So, you know, this feels uh, like, like sort of a niche. Um, uh, we've, we've done, we've done a, a number of reprints. There are a, a lot of books out there that are, uh, still have a, a fair amount of uh, value as instruction or history or what have you, 
um, but they're in algebra, they're in uh, English descriptive. Um, perhaps the most prolific chess author uh, in English uh, was Fred Reinfeld. And uh, uh, people go, oh, well, Reinfeld. Well, Reinfeld had a, had a number of books that were, that were quite good. Um, his 1001 Chess Sacrifices Combinations, 1001 uh, Brilliant Ways to Checkmate, um, and a few others uh, continue to sell today. The 1001 Winning Chess Sacrifices and Combinations, uh, I, uh, I, we're about to go into either the third or the fourth printing of that. Um, I was able to uh, come to an agreement. Reinfeld died in 64, so he died a young man. But um, I came to an agreement with his son and his daughter, who are both in, the, both in their 70s. Um, his son has since passed away. But um, uh, so we, you know, we have the rights to those things to, to bring out what we want. And um, initially it was Bruce Albertson, in fact, who um, worked on them. And uh, then uh, I don't know if you know Peter Kurtzdorfer. Uh, uh, Peter, I don't think so. Yeah, Peter's a, a, a master. Uh, he's in his 60s, I think. But he does the editing when we bring it out. We've got a few more of his that are in the pipeline. Um, uh, so, but that's an example. Uh, his uh, books that are well known, uh, but all of a sudden you have a whole new market when you convert it to uh, 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 figurine algebraic or just uh, English algebraic. Um, and on the older books, you also have to run it through an engine because th there are often uh, some very simple mistakes that were made and, and were never picked up. Uh, so uh, we did that. Uh, one of the ways we did it, um, very famous game collection is by Alechen, uh, uh, 19, uh, was it, uh, 1908, 1937. They were originally released as two separate volumes, 100 games in each volume. It's a, it's a wonderful collection. Um, and we, we, we converted the English descriptive to al al algebraic, figurine algebraic, and then we ran the analysis through an engine, and he made uh, you know a few mistakes. Uh, it's not really uh, critical, uh, a, a bad uh, criticism of Alekhin, but uh, what we decided to do is put together a short uh, uh, document referencing the games and the tactic that he missed. And we refer to it in the introduction to the book. We give you the URL, and then you can go to our website and download that if you feel like it. Um, curiously enough, that particular uh, document has not been downloaded very much at all. Uh, either people don't care, which is fine, um, or, you know, let's say they want to use their time for other reasons. The same thing with his, you know, one of the, one of the great tournament books of all time is his book on New York 1924, uh, which was uh, won by Lasker when Lasker was 55. It had uh, it had Alekin, it had Capablanca, it had Reddy, uh, it had Tartikar, um, and you know Lasker won it. This very famous game between Emmanuel Lasker and Ed Lasker, where for the first time in Endgame uh, history, they think they haven't been able to find anything else. Lasker showed how to draw with a knight against a rook and pawn. Uh, 
and you, you, you are told that and you go, well, that can't possibly be. If you play over that game, it went, it went more than a hundred moves, but uh, eventually Edward Lasker had to, had to agree to draw. He couldn't, Lasker had the night. Uh, Emmanuel had the night. So, uh, well, I just saw it on chessgames.com. It's a, uh, yeah, it's a Gore in defense. Wow. Well, it's, uh, it's quite a game. Of course, Las Emmanuel Lasker played a lot of famous games. Um, uh, but, you know, you've got uh, another is, uh, you know, historically is the book uh, warranted. Uh, were they related? I believe they were distant cousins. Um, Honestly, I, mean, I didn't even know about Ed Blasker <laughs> until now. Oh yeah, well, he was. I very, mean, I'm sure, I've, I'm sure I've heard the name before, but he was he was very active um, uh, right through the 1970s, uh, mostly as an organizer in the last part of his life. But uh, oh yeah, well, I'm just looking at an interesting note here on the chessgames.com uh, uh, bio. Um, it, it says he was friends with world champion Emmanuel Lasker. Some controversy exists as to whether they were related. Edward Lasker wrote in his memoirs of, guess what, the New York 1924 tournament. Um, I did not discover that we were actually related until he told me shortly before his death that someone showed him a Lasker family tree on one of those branches I was dangling. <laughs> Yeah, well, uh, Emmanuel Lasker was, you know, quite a guy. We brought out a book called uh, Emmanuel Lasker, a reader, where we had selections of his annotated games. Uh, chap, you know, he invented uh, he invented a couple board games. He was a master level br bridge player. Um, so he's, he's a fascinating. Mark Dvoretsky told me in, in one conversation um, that he thought uh, uh, overall Emmanuel Lasker was the greatest player of all time. Now, I can hear all the protests coming from uh, those who think Kasparov or Kromnik or Carlson. Mark was aware of all of those. Well, to be honest, I, I think that is somewhat of a silly question in general. Yeah. Um, I mean, just, I mean, Kasparov on, you compare I, Lasker to Carlson, right? Or Carapablanca or Morphe, right? Everybody. I asked, I asked Gary, because I, I, when I was running Cheskify, I, I, uh, I, I had the occasion to interview Gary Kasparov four times for the first four releases of his My Great Predecessor books. And at some point that topic came up and he said, you can't, you, you, you can't answer that uh, well at all because uh, each player had his own uh, set of circumstances and uh, you, know, you can't really, you can't really uh, compare somebody like Kromnik or myself who had the benefit of computers to Lasker when they didn't exist at all so and he's probably right yeah and i mean if you look at uh you know in fact even you know i'm looking at thanks to actually yourself and and andre i'm looking actually into a fair amount of spislavs games um like i've you know i've been actually using them uh, in a lot of my uh lessons you know the last couple of days just because i you know found them pretty uh you know interesting yeah like there's a lot of you know, quote unquote mistakes, you know, that I could easily say Smyslov made. Of course, Smyslov was, you know, a world champion and extremely, extremely strong. Um, but he, you know, well, he, and, and one thing, by the way, that I even read just on the back of that book that I was like so impressed about was, uh, you know, how he was like playing for 70 years. <laughs> you know, it's crazy. 
you know. Yeah, the there are there are there are a few there are a few players who played very strong chess uh, throughout uh, even in their their the years when they were quite old. You know, uh, you've got Smyslov, you've got Korchnoi, you've got Rashevsky, uh, you've got a couple of others. Um, their strength diminished when they got older. There's no question about it. But they, they both, uh, you know, they all they all played uh, very strong chess right till the end. The reason Smyslov didn't play for the last few years of his life is he was almost completely blind. Uh, he just couldn't see any longer. Uh, yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, look, it, it, it's, it's great that they're, you know, continuing and, um, you know, constantly, uh, you know, and, and, and just not, you know, letting go. Um, so anyway, um, Hennon, I, I really appreciate your, you know, time here today, uh, you know, talking about uh, a variety of, of subjects, you know, from the benefits of uh, chess and litigation to, you know, the influence of uh, Bobby Fischer to uh, the revealing uh, for many younger players like myself, uh, you know, Ed Edmondson, uh, you know, who I'm going to, uh, you know, yeah, look Fisher, a little bit more into. Fisher, Bobby Fischer, in my opinion, doesn't win the world championship without Ed Edmondson's help. And I think most players, wow. most people who were around at that time and, and, and knew what was happening, I think they would agree. Fisher doesn't. And by the way, I, I, I can't not, uh, you know, also say the same thing about um, my good friend and mentor who unfortunately passed away uh, in recent years, uh, Bill Lombardi, of course, um, you know, who has, you know, had a huge impact on Fisher. Well, that was, yeah, that was during the championship match, though. Um, uh, it was Edmondson who actually got him to take his seat in, in Reykjavik. Right. To begin it. So. Right. Um, well, yeah, I mean, both, both. Certainly, though, had, uh, you know, some elements. Um, and then, uh, yeah, of course, you know, talking about, you know, the elements of a publishable book and, you know, tips for, you know, new authors, um, you know, and, and, and a whole lot more. Um, is there anything else you'd like to add uh, while you're on here? No, I don't think, uh, I think, uh, you know, people are welcome to, to uh, follow our, our books as they're released. Uh, we'd be delighted if they like our, our Facebook page, Russell Enterprises, Inc., all one word, I-N-C at the end. Um, you'll find out that we uh, post a daily uh, item about chess history there on this date. Um, uh, as I said, we've got the book by Co uh, about Kali coming out. We've got uh, uh, the book about the Exchange French coming out. We've got later this year, I think it'll come out this year, uh, David Willis, who is a um, 2,400 plus rated correspondence master is doing a work on the four night Sicilian. Uh, that looks very interesting. Uh, so we got a, a lot of irons in the fire and, uh, um, no, we, uh, thank you for, uh, for chatting with me. It's been interesting. Yeah, it's been, uh, my sincere pleasure. And hopefully, uh, one of these days you'll be, uh, adding you Dustin and I, uh, to that list. <laughs> So, uh, Hennon, if anyone wants to, you know, reach out, learn a little bit more about Russell Enterprises, uh, you know, upcoming books, uh, you know, as a customer, or client, or, um, you know, potential author, uh, is there a way people could get in touch with you? Sure. Uh, go to our website. Now, our website is Russell Enterprises, with an S at the end, dot com. 
but there's a hyphen, not an underscore, a hyphen between the word Russell and the word enterprises. Um, there's an email address right at the bottom of the homepage. Uh, you've got upcoming, uh, uh, you've got upcoming books. You've got current books listed there. Um, and Hans Ray is always a delight to read. Uh, every month he we post a new column by him. You'll only find him on uh, at our website. He's a terrific writer. Um, okay, well, thank you so much, Shannon, and I look forward to chatting with you soon. Okay, take care. Yep, bye. Bye-bye.